If you'll find your place in your Bible with me this morning at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if this is your first Sunday with us, we have been studying now for 25 weeks through the book of 1 Corinthians, and we find ourselves today in the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians. We're going to read 11 verses, and then we're going to be looking at the entire chapter, at least portions of the entire chapter, so you'll want to keep your Bible open in front of you and You'll want to be able to follow along some of the other scriptures that I will reference as we talk today about spiritual gifts. Beginning in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed... And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this morning I pray that you will enable me and empower me to do beyond what I am able to do. And I pray, Lord, that you will speak through me. Lord, I will do my very best to make this text as understandable as possible. But ultimately, that's the work of the Holy Spirit to guide us into all the truth. And I pray today, God, that you will guide us. Father, there are different needs that are represented across this room, and I can't meet all of those needs. Lord, I will not be able to speak to all of those needs, but Lord, you are not as limited. You are not so limited as I am limited, and I pray, Lord God, that you will speak to us, even if the message itself isn't the means by which you communicate with our hearts, that you, the Holy Spirit, will speak to us today and cause us to know that we have been in your presence. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. There's a man that tells the story about a ranch that's found out in Wyoming, and that ranch is framed by miles and miles of fencing. Not only was that entire spread fenced, this owner, his name was Clyde Peterson, had it subdivided, with barbed wire so that he could move his cattle from one section to another section. A single grazing spot on this ranch might be bordered by as many as 600 fence posts. And each cedar post was vitally important to that ranching operation. If even one was knocked down, the entire herd would be able to escape over that fallen section. 
This same kind of a principle holds true in other areas of life as well. You may have heard of the television personality Mike Rowe. A couple of his programs, How America Works or Dirty Jobs, are programs that I like to watch on occasion. And if you ever do that, you know that sometimes in the process of talking about how America works, he talks about when something happens, something breaks down, and how it causes a problem for the rest of the process. If one machine breaks down, the whole assembly line may grind to a halt. If one screw drops out of a gas carburetor, it will likely run in an erratic fashion. If a single microchip fails, it's possible for the entire computer system to be shut down. In other words, whether it's a fence post or a microchip or whether it's a screw in a carburetor or whether it's uh, one of these other pieces of equipment in this long line, this chain of equipment, every piece is important and every part is important. And a local church is no different. Every worker in a church is vital to the ongoing of that church ministry. It may be that you're a life group leader or you're one of these musicians or you could be one of the nursery or children's workers or work in the media ministry or one of our greeters or our section hosts or you might work out on the parking lot or in security or in any number of other things that are happening on any given gathering of the people of God. But if anyone slacks off, if anyone slacks off, the entire effort suffers. In other words, you and I are more than just one more fence post in a long row. You and I are divinely gifted saints of God with a vital role to play in the eternal work of his church. And as a single fence post is crucial to the rancher, every one of us is important to God and to the work of the local church. And consequently, what 1 Corinthians begins to unfold for us is this matter of spiritual gifts that God has given to every person in the family of God, every person in a local church. He has given to them a spiritual gift so that they can function within that body in a way that blesses and benefits the body so that the body is strong and the body is vital and the body is healthy so that that body can be a representation of Jesus Christ in the world around us. Today we're going to be talking about spiritual gifts, maybe not in specifically the way that you would like for me to, which is to list all the different gifts and give you definitions of each one and try to help you in some fashion to find that spiritual gift by doing those things. But we're going to look at this in a broader context of the significance of you as a fence post, as a screw in the carburetor, as an individual gifted by God, and how important it is that every person, every person be functioning within the body and every person be serving within the body. In other words, it's not enough just to come to church and sit and to soak because then you sour. You come and you sit and you soak and then you go serve somewhere. 
That's always been God's intended purpose. And you, if you're a child of the living God, have been gifted for such a task. Now I want to look at this in five specific ways. So if you're keeping notes, you you can write these down. Spiritual gifts, number one, are special abilities. You notice back to verse one, he says, now concerning, and here's the word, spiritual gifts. Then he says to the brethren, this is not for people who are unsaved. This is to those of us who know Christ. I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to understand what we're talking about when we talk about spiritual gifts. We're talking about, number one, special abilities that God imparts to us as his children. Dr. John MacArthur, who is a well-known commentator on Scripture, says, A spiritual gift is a channel through which the Holy Spirit ministers to the body. A gift is not an end in itself. I like that definition. I think it's a a good definition, but there's one that I like better. It comes from uh, Dr. Charles Swindoll. He says that spiritual gifts are special skills or abilities that enables each believer to contribute to the whole body of Christ, and notice these words, with ease, pleasure, and effectiveness. I like that. Because when you're functioning according to the spiritual gift that God has given to you, there comes from that an ease and a pleasure and an effectiveness to the work that you're doing. Look back for for a moment, if you will, with me to verse 4, and notice the words that go through here. He says, there are diversities of gifts. The the, the word is charisma. Uh, Charis is the word for grace. These are gifts that are given to us by the grace of God. In verse 5, he says, there are differences of ministries. It's the word diakonia. It's the word from which we get deacon. There are different places of service. And then he says in verse 6, and there are diversities of activities. It's the word energema. There are, there are different things that are wrought. There are different effects. There are different outcomes. But you'll notice that all of it is by the Spirit, the Lord, meaning the Lord Jesus and God. In other words, the Trinity is all mentioned here. All of them are involved such that God gives to us a spiritual gift that's to be used through a ministry, some area of service, and the outcome of that is determined by God. He is the one who decides exactly how he wants to use it and what, to what extent he, he wants to use it. In, in other words, when you're serving in the use of your spiritual gift through a ministry, allowing God to bring about the outcomes that he so desires, what you have found in your spiritual life is what I like to call the sweet spot of your spiritual life. I brought something to to the pulpit with me this morning to give you an illustration. For one, to show the young people what this really is. This is a persimmon-headed driver. Uh, This is the kind of golf club kids that I grew up playing as a boy in elementary school and high school, right on through life. Uh, It's a persimmon-headed driver. It's used to be one of the hardest clubs in a golf bag to hit. If you, if you have any of the new clubs, any of the kids have the new clubs, you know that this looks tiny. 
uh, compared to the new clubs, which are two or uh, a couple of times this size, maybe sometimes two and a half times this size, made out of composite materials or made out of some kind of metal materials. But if you've ever played golf, you, you know that on a golf club, as difficult as this is to hit, there is a sweet spot. If you hit it out here on the edge, you feel it all the way through your hands to your brain. If you hit it on the inside, you feel it all the way through your head to, to your brain. But if you hit it on the sweet spot, you hardly feel it at all. It is one of the most enjoyable feelings for golfers. There is. You, you could say that about a baseball bat. There is a sweet spot on a baseball bat. You could say that about a tennis racket. There is a sweet spot on the tennis racket. You might even be able to say, though I don't play soccer, that there is a sweet spot on your foot, that when you hit the ball at that particular spot, it's the sweet spot. That is what the Apostle Paul is talking about. God gives a diversity of gifts, these gifts of his grace. He intends them to be used through a diversity or differences of ministries, places of service that are varied in kind. And the outcome, that, that the result, what, what comes about as a result of the use of your, your gift through that ministry is something that God determines. It's not up to you, it's up to God. God wants you to find that sweet spot, and that sweet spot are these special supernatural abilities that God gives to you as his children. Just to give you an illustration of how spiritual gifts sometimes work, and I'm choosing just some of the spiritual gifts uh, to do this, but let's suppose for a moment that you're sitting at a table in your dining room, and there's several of you sitting around the table, and at one spot at the table is a young child drinking from a glass of milk. And for some reason, that child becomes agitated, hits the glass with the back of his hand, the milk spills all over the table, and it runs down onto the floor, and all of a sudden, there's chaos in the room, right? The person who has the gift of serving steps up immediately from the place where they're sitting, and they begin getting paper towels, and they begin getting, uh, they begin getting towels because they're going to clean up the mess. They're going to make sure it all gets mopped up as quickly as possible. The person with the gift of mercy looks at the child and says, oh, you sweet thing. I know that this disturbs you, and you don't have to cry about this. It's going to be okay. Life's going to be okay. Uh, the person with the gift, of serve, uh, the gift of giving stands up and says, I'll take care of this. I'm headed down to the grocery store. I'm going to buy some more milk. I'm going to make sure we got plenty of milk, that the baby will have all the milk that he wants. This little bit of spilled milk won't matter. The person with the gift of exhortation is standing around saying, it's okay. We can get through this. This is a learning experience. This is a growing moment in our lives. Let's be encouraged by what we're doing. The person with the gift of teaching is sitting at the table and says, now let me show you. What you should do next time is push the glass of milk a little further back onto the table. If you push it just past this crack in the table, you'll see that the baby's hand can no longer reach that glass and accidentally knock that glass over. And the person with the gift of administration is the one who's standing up and giving all the orders. Go get the milk, get the towel over there, make sure that 
uh, that glass is moved back, that it can't be spilled again. Yeah, you keep hugging on that baby, keep loving on that baby, and they're running everything that takes place, and they're all operating according to that supernatural ability. They're all operating according to those special abilities that, that God has given to them. We're not talking about your talents now. We're not talking about your learned skills or your abilities that are the natural abilities of life. We're talking about that spiritual gift that God has imparted to you. By the way, sometimes you know what your spiritual gift is by the negative. If you have the gift of serving and you feel like other people aren't helping you and they're not jumping in to assist you, you you feel very irritated by that. If you have the gift of mercy and you see somebody being harsh toward that child that spilt the milk, you're bothered by the harshness of that individual. If you have the gift of giving, you're the person who looks and says, we waste so much money on this, 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 and this. And if you have the gift of exhortation, you're discouraged by and bothered by somebody who's negative and always sees the glass half empty rather than half full. And if you have the gift of teaching, you're bothered by the person who just sort of goes through life and doesn't have any concerns. They're just freewheeling it in life. And if you're the person with the gift of administration, well, you're just aggravated with everybody. (laughs) And you're especially aggravated with people who won't do what you tell them to do. I grew up with a mother who had the gift of administration. And she would be aggravated if we didn't do what she told us to do. But when we talk about spiritual gifts, it's the sweet spot of our spiritual lives. It's that place where when you serve, you hardly even know you're serving. There is such a fulfillment and there is such a joy that takes place from serving in that capacity. And spiritual gifts are special Abilities. Number two, spiritual gifts are sovereignly given. They're sovereignly given. Spiritual gifts aren't something you seek, but God is the one who divinely bestows the gift that he wants you to have. If you look back to chapter 12, verse 6, and you'll notice, he says, and there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. Or if you look down to verse 11, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Or you get down to verse 18, a verse that we have not read, and it says, but now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. In other words, God is the one who determines what the ability is that we're going to be given. By the way, do you know when you get that ability? It's found in verse 13. He says, for by one spirit, we were all, notice the word all, baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. When were you baptized into the body of Christ? When you trusted Jesus as your Savior. At that moment, the Spirit of God took up residence within you and imparted to you a spiritual gift that he intends for you to use. Now, there's a little bit of confusion about this because you'll hear people talking about, you know, I want this gift and I want that gift and that gift and I'm seeking the gift of tongues and I'm seeking the gift of prophecy and I'm seeking the gift of knowledge and I'm seeking this gift and that gift. Hey, wait a minute. 
God is the one who determines the gifts we receive. And he does that sovereignly and divinely. If you notice over in verse 31 what it says, chapter 12, verse 31, he says, but earnestly desire the best gifts. You say, Pastor, there it is. He says we're supposed to desire the best gifts. You know, I used to read this passage differently than I do today. I used to understand it differently than I do today. When he says to earnestly desire the best gifts, to you realize, and maybe you don't unless you have a footnote in your study Bible, that the words can actually say you are, you are desiring the best gifts. And in the context of, of Corinth and the church at Corinth, where there is so much division and there's conflict amongst them and chaos exists in nearly every corner of the congregation, this is another place where that kind of confrontation, that kind of chaos existed. They wanted specific gifts, especially those that were showy and notable and spectacular. They wanted them because it brought them into the public eye. It made them more noticeable, and it created additional conflict within the congregation. He's not saying, I want you to earnestly desire. He's saying, you are earnestly desiring the best gifts. But that's not the way gifts work, church. The gifts work by God in his own sovereignty, giving those gifts to you as he so chooses to give those gifts. As I mentioned earlier, I used to read this chapter differently than I do today. I used to read it looking to make a list of every gift that was noted, along with those that are found in Romans chapter 12 and 1 Peter chapter 4. And if you Combine all those lists, you can get anywhere from 18 to 19 spiritual gifts to some count as many as 24 to 25 spiritual gifts. It depends on how you categorize them. But I used to read trying to make that list and then trying to understand each of those gifts, trying to make sure that, that, that I could figure out what each gift or how each gift was supposed to function. I wanted to have a description. I wanted to have a definition for every one of those gifts. And then I realized that I was reading too much into this text. Paul isn't trying to make an exhaustive list of all the spiritual gifts. And it's likely that combining all the gift lists won't give us all the gifts God gives. Or the mixture of those gifts that he gives. That wasn't his purpose here. They were wanting the showy gifts. They were wanting the spectacular gifts. And the Apostle Paul is not writing here to commend them. He's writing to correct them. Every member of the body is important. Every gift in the church, in the functioning of the church, is vital. Every gift is necessary and not just some that are necessary and you should be seeking after. As a matter of fact, I think that's proven by the fact that he goes on in this text, and we're not going to read it all, but he goes on in this text and he uses the human body as an example of what he's talking about. I mean, let's face it, the face and the ears and the nose and the eyes and the mouth, those are the most visible parts of a human body. But can you function without, a, without kidneys or without a liver or without a pancreas? 
We have this tendency to think these are the most important. These are the ones we color and try to make look as good as possible and use filters when we're taking selfies so that we look as good as we possibly can. But let me ask you a question. Aren't there other parts of your body that are just as important even though they're not necessarily seen? He even says here in the physical body, there are some parts that are so necessary, but they're not presentable and they have to be dressed up because they're not appropriate to be seen in the fashion that they are at their present moment. They have to be dressed because every member of the body, Paul wasn't saying earnestly desire this gift or that gift. Go after it. Pray for God to give it to you. Pray for God to give it to you. He was saying, y'all stop doing that. Every member of the body and every gift that God gives to the body is absolutely necessary and essential. And it may be something physical and visible and spectacular and showy, but that doesn't mean that those things that are working behind the scenes aren't necessary and aren't important. As a matter of fact, just try to do without them for a little while. Have you ever watched a pit crew in action at a NASCAR race? I don't watch a lot of NASCAR races many, many years ago when our kids were very young. We had a family in the church that had a house, small house, in Daytona. And they told us we could use it for our vacation. We didn't have a lot of money to have a place to be able to go, to be able to rent to go. So we used their house. And one day I was out about a mile from the Daytona Speedway. And I kept hearing this roaring every so often, roaring every so often. And then I realized about a mile away, you could hear those cars as they were coming into that turn that was closest to where I was. Those jet engines that are inside of those NASCAR cars. But have you ever, have you ever watched a pit crew when a car comes into pit row? In less time than it takes for most of us to put on our seatbelt and adjust the mirror, the crew has changed four tires, filled the gas tank, washed the windshield, given the driver a drink, and made vital adjustments to the car's performance. And it can only happen that quickly and efficiently because every crew member knows his job and he does it right. It's the same thing in the body of Christ. Yes, maybe I have the mouthpiece, but do you think those that are working behind the scenes and aren't even seen today are, are less important than I am? Do you think that I'm important, more important than they are? Every member of the body is important. Every aspect of the body is essential. There are no unimportant members of the body. One of the NASCAR chaplains once said to the race car drivers and their crews, imagine all the people it takes to put on a race. What if they all wanted to drive? He said it would be chaos, and it's the same with the crew. If everyone wanted to change tires and no one wanted to fill the gas tank, that car would, have a very, would not have a very long ride. In the body of Christ, we're all equipped with different gifts to do certain tasks to get the work of God done. For you to ask me to do what you're doing or for me to ask you to do exactly what I'm doing is inappropriate. To understand that everybody has a different role to play within the body. We've all been given these special abilities and these, these special supernatural abilities, all of it for the purpose of the betterment of the whole. And there are no unimportant parts. 
Number three, spiritual gifts are service-oriented. They're service-oriented. In other words, spiritual gifts were never given for self-advantage or selfish purposes. If you're using your spiritual gift to get attention for yourself, you're not using it properly. Spiritual gifts are service-oriented. Notice, if you will, verse 7, what he says. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one. Now, notice, for the profit of how many? Of all. For the profit of all. Look at verse 24. But our presentable parts have no need, some say. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that, they should be, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. You get what he's saying? The same care for one another. I want my kidneys to work. I want my heart to pump. I want my lungs to breathe. I want my mind to think. I want my eyes to see and my hands to touch. I want my feet to walk. But I've got all of these different members, and they're all absolutely essential. And they're all for the purpose of serving others. They are service-oriented. We need each other, folks. Okay, so I'll just say it again. We need each other. All of us together make up the whole. And that's the whole point of the argument that comes after the verses that we read in using the body as an illustration of the spiritual gifts that God gives. We all need the different members of the body. We're all necessary to the whole. He says here something that's, that's absurd. It's even grotesque. He says here in verse 15, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? Do you get what he's saying? It's service-oriented. I don't know what your role in the body of Christ is. Well, some of you I do. But many of you, I don't know what your role is within the body of Christ, but everybody is to be serving God in the use of their spiritual gift through a ministry of a local church, allowing God to give the outcome, God to give the outflow of what he wants. And everybody is to be doing something in the body of Christ. We're all necessary we work together. We're serving each other. We're helping the other. We're not saying, look at me. Together, we're saying, look at Jesus. He's the one that makes it all possible. There was a visitor that was being shown around a leper colony in India. And at noon, a bell sounded for the midday meal. And people came from all parts of the compound to the dining hall, and all at once, laughter filled the air. There in the middle of a bunch of other people were two young men, one riding on the other's back, pretending to be a horse and a rider, and they were having loads of fun. As the visitor watched this unfolding, he was told that the man who carries his friend was blind, and the man who was being carried was crippled. The one who couldn't see used his feet, and the one who couldn't walk used his eyes. But together, 
They helped each other, and they found great joy in doing it. Imagine a church like that. Just imagine for a moment a church like that. Every member using his or her gift or strength to make up for one another's weaknesses. That's what should be happening in every congregation of believers. Paul compares spiritual gifts to various parts of the human body. Eyes see and ears hear and hands work and feet move the body forward. But all of them are essential. And when each fulfills its function, the whole body benefits. The whole body benefits. You probably know that a year and a half ago I was diagnosed with idiopathic transverse myelitis. I get the strangest illnesses. At 39 years of age, I got sarcoidosis, primarily found in African-American women. It's an autoimmune disease. One day I was sitting in my chair. I had just taken about a 30-minute nap. Yeah, I take naps occasionally. Taking about a 30-minute nap, when I woke up, my feet were numb. I could not feel my feet. Over the next few days, that numbness moved up my calves and up my thighs, up to my waist. I began to have a belt, like a belt that was tied around the middle of me, of numbness, like somebody was hugging me across the middle of my body. And you probably remember I took two or three Sundays off. MRIs, several MRIs, C, uh, uh, CAT scans, x-rays, multiple tests. My general practice doctor, the neurosurgeon who thought it might be from a disc in the back, but it wasn't until I ended up with a neurologist. And he did the testing as well. And I remember the day that Mary and I were sitting in his office and he walked in and he began drawing on the chart that you have idiopathic transverse myelitis. We don't know where it comes from. We don't know how you get it. You may have gotten it because you had the COVID virus. You may have gotten it because you took the COVID virus shots and those aren't political statements. I'm just telling you what he said. You may have gotten it because your immune system was enhanced and it attacked the myelin that covering of the nerves in your spinal column such that you have a little place on that myelin where your nerve conduction is interrupted and you can't feel what you used to feel. And I stand before you today with exactly the same symptoms that I had after several days of them developing. I don't know if you understand my problem is not nearly as severe as some of you have to deal with. But to stand requires me using parts of my body that I didn't have to used to use. To walk up and down those steps, I don't feel them like I used to feel them on the bottom of my feet. Golf is a game that's gone, long gone for me, because I can't rock on my feet from one side to the other. And when I go home on Sunday afternoons after two messages, I can't do anything but fall on the couch and take a nap because the body is having to exercise other parts of the body in order to compensate for those parts that you can't feel and that 
the muscles are becoming less strong because they're not used as frequently. What are you telling me, Pastor? I'm telling you that when your body isn't functioning properly, it puts a strain on the rest of the parts of the body. And when every part of the body is functioning and we're all busy working and doing our part and we're all functioning in the way God intended us to do, it makes it better for everybody else. And our gifts are supposed to be service-oriented. Look down to verses 26 and 27. Notice what it says. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, you are the body of Christ and members individually. You hear what he says? When one part of the body is suffering, the others rush to help. And when some part of the body is rejoicing, we all rush to rejoice with them because we're all serving each other. And where I have physical weaknesses and other parts of my body have to make up for those weaknesses, the church shouldn't have those kinds of weaknesses. We should all be serving the Lord. Number four, spiritual gifts are spirit-enabled. I'm not going to spend much time here. I've already told you that you receive these gifts when you are baptized with the Spirit into the body of Christ, when you trust in Jesus. But do you understand that the use of your spiritual gifts, you need the energy of the Spirit of God that indwells you to empower you. It's like putting fuel in your car. Do you watch your gauge, your gas gauge in your car? They're fancy now. They tell you how many miles you got left before you run out of gas. Do you watch the gas gauge and do you stop periodically and refill the tank? That's what in the New Testament is called. Not the baptism with the Spirit. That happens once for all in your life. That's called the filling of the Spirit. Dr. Joseph Thayer is a famous theologian and lexicographer. And he writes about spiritual gifts and their extraordinary powers. This is what he says. They are extraordinary powers distinguishing certain Christians and enabling them to serve the church of Christ. But here's the part I want you to hear. The reception of which is due to the power of divine grace operating in their souls by the Holy Spirit. Operating in their souls by the Holy Spirit. It means that we need the daily, moment by moment, oft repeated filling with the Spirit. That's what Ephesians 5 is about. Be filled with the Spirit. To be filled means to be controlled by. Every day we get up and we say, Lord, I want you to use me. Every day we get up and we say, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Control me by your spirit. Take my gift and use it where it can best be used. By the way, I meant to say it a few moments ago when I'm talking about gifts or a means of serving. Hey, there's a lot of things that you do in the service of God that aren't the sweet spot. Trust me. There's a lot of things that you do that are off-center. They don't fit right on the sweet spot, but you do them because they need to be done, and you can do them even if you don't enjoy doing them. You do them. There's a lot of things in the ministry that I don't really like to do. But you do them anyway. And then you pray for God to give you as many opportunities as possible to do that thing that is your sweet spot. 
And we give ourselves every single day, oh God, please use me. Please use me today. I surrender myself. If I've got to do something that's not the supernatural gift that you've given to me, that doesn't coordinate with that supernatural gift, Lord, you're going to have to give me extra help and extra assistance to be able to get it done. Number five, spiritual gifts are sorely needed. They are sorely needed. The church today is in need of all of its members doing their part for the greater good of every member of the body in the glorification of God. Let me read it again. This is how I wrote it. The church today is in need of all of its members doing their part for the greater good of every member of the body and the glorification of God. Have you seen all the businesses that have help wanted signs? Have you been into an establishment and had somebody at the establishment say to you, thank you for your patience. We are understaffed today. Can I just tell you that in most churches I know, they are understaffed. They have lots of people sitting, but not nearly as many people serving But the work of God is extremely hard for a few, a few that are having to do the work that the many should be doing together. Did you get that? The work is hard when the few are having to do the work that the many should be doing together with them. There is no place for us to just sit Well, pastor, I come. That's my task. I come and I sit. Well, no, you come and sit. That's the filling. That's the refilling. That's the gassing up point. I come to to fill up, but then you go out to serve. You go around the ministry to get involved. You, You do something in the service of God. He didn't save you to sit in a pew. He saved you to get busy serving him in some capacity. And all across our churches are hanging the help wanted flyers. I don't know much about honeybees. We have people in our church who have honeybees and they love them. And they tell me stories about them. And if I get a detail wrong here, you'll forgive me, those of you experts with honeybees. But I'm told that the honeybee has one of the most highly developed social structures in the animal kingdom. At the heart of the hive, which may house as many as 80,000 bees, is the queen. Without her, the colony has no future. Without Jesus, we have no future. But the 80,000 don't just sit around watching their queen. Each bee has a specialized duty to fulfill. The forager bees encounter the perils of the outside world to collect food. The guard bees protect the hive entrance from intruders. The undertakers are responsible for removing dead bodies from the hive. Oh, that'd be a great job. The water collectors bring in moisture to regulate the humidity. The plasterers make a kind of cement to repair the hive. The fanners station themselves at the entrance and fan the scent outward to signal the location of the colony to lost or disoriented bees. 
The scout bees keep the hive alert to opportunities and dangers of the outside world. I mean, when you just look at a beehive, that honey that you enjoy, and you look at how that beehive operates, it's filled with variety and it's filled with specialization. Everybody has a task. Every bee is working according to that task. That's the way it's supposed to be in a church. The Lord has given special and spiritual gifts and tasks to all of us in his church. And nobody is called to sit around. Everybody has something to do. So let me just stop and ask you, what are you doing? If I ask you, tell me what it is you are doing in the advancement of the cause of Christ through this local church where you claim to be a member, what are you doing? What are you doing in the advancing of God's work, in the betterment of the body itself, making it healthier and stronger? The work of the church will not get done unless all of us do what God has gifted us to do. And we use a little acrostic around here. It's not original to me. I don't claim ownership for it. I didn't develop it, but we use it. God has shaped every person in the body of Christ to be at work within that body. And you take the word shape, the letters of the word shape, and you use it as an acrostic. S stands for your spiritual gift. That's what we've been talking about today. H stands for your heart. People have something they love to do. They just love to do it. A stands for abilities. What abilities, what talents do you have? That's the means by which God shapes you to work in his church. The letter P is personality. Some people shouldn't work with teenagers. They're too militaristic. Some people shouldn't work with kids. They're too nervous. And some people shouldn't work in senior adult ministry because you're going to go home with anxiety that you're going to die. I'm going to have all these illnesses they've got. And then there's experiences. E stands for experiences. What have you done before? God has shaped you. God has shaped you to get busy in the service of God through the local church. And there is no place in a functioning, active local ministry like this for anybody to just say, I'm going to sit and I'm going to soak and I'm going to go away and they have no task in which they're involved. There was a pretty successful football coach that was asked one time, how much does college football contribute to the national physical fitness picture? And the coach abruptly replied, nothing. And the interviewer was startled. He said, why not? And the coach said, well, the way I see it, You have 22 men down on the field desperately needing a rest and 40,000 people in the stands desperately needing some exercise. There's a similar situation that exists in too many of our churches today. When you compare the members who merely attend with those who actively participate, you often find a rather discouraging situation. It's not unusual to have a small group of diligent Christian workers struggling down on the field while others in the congregation are acting like spectators, sitting on the sidelines, eating hot dogs and popcorn. God's strategy for the accomplishment of his work is not like a sports event. 
It doesn't call for the job to be done by a few highly skilled, well-compensated athletes. In the church, all believers have their own positions and spiritual gifts that they must exercise for the profit of all. You say, my spiritual gift surely isn't for the church. Yeah, it is. That's exactly what it's for. Your spiritual gift is for the church. You say, oh, no, it's, it's got to be for the lost. It's got to be for the lost. No, it's for the church. It's for the betterment and the strengthening of the body of Christ so that the body of Christ can function effectively and become the witness of Christ to the world. But where the body's unhealthy because there's too few, few people standing in the gaps and too, too few people exercising their spiritual gift through a ministry with different outcomes that are determined by the Spirit of God and the power of His Spirit, when there's too few people doing that, it puts the pressure on the few when it ought to be on the many. My friend, if you're sitting in the stands today and you're cheering everybody else on, hey, yeah, look at that down there. Hey, Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola, hey, Coca-Cola. Popcorn, popcorn, over here, popcorn, hot dog, hot dog, right here, hot dog, hot dog, come here over here. If you're sitting in the stands, you're badly needed right down on the field. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Well, I'm going to go home and say, Pastor preached a good sermon today. Well, some of you will go home and say, wasn't crazy about that sermon. It was too long besides that. You don't worry about how long it is. You just remember I'm standing here on numb feet and legs. It's not too long for me. It's not too long for you. What are you doing about it? What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do to get out of the stands and get in the game and contribute to the work of God? You say, okay, how do I find my spiritual gift, Pastor? Well, let me just give you a profound thought. Here's how you find your spiritual gift. I'm going to take a spiritual gift inventory. We have them. We offer them. I've taken numerous of them. You want to know how to find your spiritual gift? Number one, start serving. Just go plug in somewhere. Just get busy doing something. Well, it's not exactly what I want to do. It's not exactly what I think. I think my gift would be most. It wouldn't be the sweet spot of my gift. Just get busy. Just do something, as Nike says. Just do something. Start serving. Number two, make adjustments. You know, the easiest way to steer a car is get it moving. If you want God to move you where you want to be and where you're most effective, you got to get moving. And then God can steer you, and you can make adjustments. You can say, you know, I, I've been glad to do this. I'm thankful I've been able to participate here. I'm grateful that I've had this opportunity, but I've got this opportunity over here. And by the way, number three, be committed. Be committed. Some of you would not miss your children's games. They would not miss their practices. You'll take them all over the state, and you'll take them all over the country. But you think nothing at all about the significance or the importance or the eternal value of what the church is doing in this world. And you walk away without any concern 
for what you leave behind. Be committed. Be committed. Hey, listen, shouldn't we be more committed than we are on Monday through Friday to our jobs, to the eternal work of the church? Shouldn't we be more committed to what God is doing in this world through his church than we are to little league and big league and to our theater troupe and to our dance academies? I've gone to meddling now, haven't I? Start serving. Make adjustments. Number three, be committed. And finally, trust God. Just just trust God. God will lead you where you need to be. God will put you in what you need to be, be doing. Just trust God. Lord, you're going to put me where I need to be. Let me tell you who the biggest complainers in churches are. People who, who think they know what, they, what the church ought to be doing. Oh, I, I know what the church ought to do. I, I know, I know, I got, I know. It's the people who aren't doing one blessed thing. The biggest complainers, people who think they know what the church ought to be doing, are the ones that are doing sometimes the least amongst us. That's why we don't listen to you. That's why we ignore you. Until you're on the field with us, side by side, suited up, ready to go to battle, ready to do the work of God, we don't have time to come down from the great work God's called us to do, to wrestle with you over petty issues. What are you going to do about it, church?